Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Social Enterprise Alliance podcast. Last week, we invited in Trace Bell and Tina Olson of Open Aware Consulting to talk through a social concept called Spiral Dynamics. We learned about the framework and how it relates to different moments in human history. Today, we continue that conversation and go a bit further into how an understanding of the concept can help us in our social enterprises. Welcome back, Trace and Tina. I'm trying to kind of make the connection between like, this is, you know, a collective view of human history. This is also a view of, you know, organizational structure. This is also like an individual journey as well. So it's interesting. It's cool to see all the different ways that that kind of appears. So I'm just trying to like put it all together in my brain. Um, But I am curious, like, is there ever a time when in any one of those scenarios, people end up moving backwards to Mm. like a stage or is it always kind of just this perpetual forward motion that's a really great question and it actually seems like there's a bit of a debate within the spiral community at least from what i've seen um to this very phenomenon uh some people say no you can't ever develop backwards um but then also some people say no in times of extreme stress people actually do regress um i personally fall more towards the the latter side of that. I do actually think that people in extreme stress actually can regress and actually kind of move back, um, especially I think when people's early trauma is triggered um, and certain really, cer- yeah, certain trauma around early childhood experiences and certain unaddressed trauma um, surfaces, I actually do think people can regress to earlier, uh, earlier stages and early, earlier levels of development. Um, And which I think really just speaks to the importance of actively working on embodying the health and also actively working on healing the unhealth and healing the, Mm -hmm. the initial causes and triggers that cause us to fall into the unhealth of these stages. Cause if they remain unexamined, then certain, you know, stress is a natural part of life. And when stress comes and we feel overwhelmed um, and something happens in our life that kind of feel makes us feel destabilized um, we haven't really gone to the, the heart and the root of, of those triggers and those traumas, we actually can regress. Um, so that's my view on it. Yeah. And what I would add is going back to the model itself, one of the principles of healthy stage purple that we teach is that life is happening for you, not to you. And so if we find ourselves or if we find our organization in a place where we're at a stage where we didn't like we're frequently visiting some unhealth of stage red, let's say, and we typically think of ourselves as a stage green organization, then that pause for why is this happening for us? Is this an opportunity for us to actually feel the pain of the unhealth of the stage red we've been in Mm -hmm. so that we can actually feel the passion, the purpose, the positive momentum towards claiming our healthy red? Uh, Because for example, We talked about the unhealth of red being that overly egoic, that kind of narcissistic 
dominator kind of mentality. But the unhealth of red also is overly passive. It's letting everyone else take the lead and not needing to speak up, right? And so you could definitely see where a green team might put a lot of ideas into the cooker, but no one's really willing to take it forward because there's not a lot of that like healthy, empowered energy of someone really vulnerably putting themselves out there. And that's part of heart-centered power is it's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And so maybe if we find ourselves in an unhealthy red position where we're asking our leader constantly to make the decision for us, let's say, and kind of putting them in a role of having to be um, more of a red leader, can we take a step back and say, why are we giving our power over all the time? Why aren't we going to our leader with our empowered recommendation? And letting that leader then see with their sight line and the other things they know that we don't know about the situation. Oh, yeah, this recommendation actually fits really well. And synergistically, that uplifts everybody. Or, oh, wow, I have a systems thinking gap on this team because this team thinks this is the best way to move forward. But this they're not even taking into account the, the, this supplier or this customer that it's going to leave out. What if I not fostered within this team for them to be able to fully systemically see this. And so it really is such an evolutionary process that we kind of have to trust. Like if we're being dragged back into the unhealth, how is it happening for us? Boy, I think there's two words that I'm walking away from now that are really challenging what I need to be aware of as a leader. So I heard trauma and vulnerability and it's like, uh, so vulnerability being required, which means we're going to be opening ourselves up, which means we probably likely will be hurt and uh, exposing past trauma. Trauma also then informing past versions of where we might have fallen onto the uh, the spiral um, and defaulting to that. And I think I agree. I, I can see in my own life and then at times where I've maybe um, unintentionally caused trauma for someone else, that's re-triggering something else. But also, I think, again, why this is so important to unpack as social entrepreneurship leaders is for many of us, there is a social component where you are trying to serve, uh, you know, and often many of us are serving a people group. So, mm -hmm. for example, I know um, some of our members have second chance employment um, mm -hmm. where they have taking people who have been incarcerated or really working through training programs or whatever. And, and again, that model is, can fall into many, uh, under-resourced types of communities, mm -hmm. but that individual that we are trying to serve is going to be carrying a lot of trauma potentially with them. So I could even see where if I'm leading an organization and there's a moment where I need to be a healthy red, the healthy, even if it's healthy red, I could trigger some hard traumas for people that I'm desperately trying to serve and how do I be aware of all of that whole thing in my mind? So now I have a thousand more questions and I hope you have three more hours to talk through. <laughs> well, this is, this is one of the reasons why we set up how we did, because as soon as you start diving into this deeper and get into more examples and more lived experience, and it's one of the reasons why we feel like this model is so valuable for organizations to take a journey with. And it's, not the kind of thing that can easily be done by um, a leader alone. One of the tier two values is that we are truly living an interdependent life. And so that means that 
a leader goes from being, you know, responsible in the earlier stages to your point to a servant kind of in stage green to in tier two, like standing shoulder to shoulder with many resources. And obviously your social enterprise alliance is a great example of that, of being able to be shoulder to shoulder with a peer group who all have the same intentions, but really like one of the questions I leave you all with is how are you all being supported then in that endeavor? Because when you're serving populations where triggers are coming up often, traumas are coming up often, um, there's sensitivities you're aware of and you're wanting to be, um, to, to quote a book that we've got sitting on our our desk, a healing organization, you know, that concept that instead of an organization re-traumatizing everyone every day and it going home as a negative ripple effect, and you can only binge watch Netflix and eat pizza for dinner and can't even interact kindly with your kids because you're so burnt out at the end of the day, what does it look like that the, the organization is actually a place of healing for everybody who encounters it? And you go home with positive ripple effect and you go home with enough energy to be a positive contributor to your family and to your community. That is such a key flip, but that Mm -hmm. does require a journey and a process and support in order to be able to um, continue on that road and really transmute, if I can use um, that term, transmute that like heaviness and that inertia that's kind of been in the momentum that's been in one direction and turn it around completely to to make it um, positive, which obviously is at the heart of what you all are doing at Social Enterprise Alliance. Yeah. So the concept of social enterprise, um, as everyone is probably aware of, is very aligned to the ideals in Stage Green and Tier 2. Um, the leap, it's a, been a massive leap to leap to understand that um, organizations can have a triple bottom line, care about people, uh, purpose and profit. So we're already, this discussion is already kind of centered around the ideals of stage green and tier two. Um, so the really important thing is if we're already here, how do we, how do we go back and how do we fully embody and fully integrate the health so that we're living in the most holistic, integrated manner that we can, because we want to, we want to help bring other people into wholeness and bring the communities that we serve into wholeness. We need to be in a place of wholeness within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, ultimately why we love the spiral so much is we see it as a tool for wholeness Mm -hmm. and we see ourselves as guides, almost like guides to wholeness. And this is just a map that helps us get there in such a beautiful way. Yeah. One of the coolest things about all this too, is that these leaps. So you can, you can put on your skeptical hat for a moment and be like, who came up with this? What exactly are we even talking about? And obviously, I mean, the number one thing we say to people with skepticism is don't believe us. Don't, don't just take what we're saying um, as some sort of dogma that we're trying to implant you with, but rather feel this into your own personal human experience and see whether or not it feels like it has truth and usefulness for you. And if not, you know, we send you love and wish you well. And um, I know you'll find the teachers that are meant for you, you know, but if this does resonate, one of the reasons it might be resonating with you is that same spark that came to you as a social enterprise entrepreneur or leader um, is, I mean, we would call it like a a divine spark or a spark of inspiration or a spark from 
the universe, from nature, from some element outside of just our own little magical cooking in our heads, right? Something bigger than us kind of called us forward into, hey, we might be able to do things differently. And the thing that's really cool about this is that the people who have studied and mapped this have seen that tier two organizations are popping up all over the planet like popcorn. They're like their own sparks. These people don't, the people who are running them don't know each other. They're not in the same industries. I mean, they might know each other now, but it wasn't like one person's like, hey, I have an idea and I'm going to have a consortium and then we're all going to do this thing. It was totally random, random, synergistic, you know, but um, so you've got everything from a school in Germany practicing these things to a home healthcare system in the Netherlands. We'll get into some of the details of these organizations to publishing company in the U.S. to a tomato manufacturing or canning company in the U.S. to a French auto parts manufacturer. I mean, all over the place. And the sizes of these organizations are totally random, if you will, as well, from a few people to a few hundred to over 10,000. And so that's really, really cool. If you feel into the part that we are being called to be a part of something. And of course, as Social Enterprise Alliance, you've all been called to be a part of something, but that this something is an emergent property of humanity in this moment of human history. And so uh, a couple of specifics on that. One of them uh, that I think might be one of the biggest rays of light is called Burtzorg. It's a Dutch home health care company. So these are nurses that go into elderly or disabled or sick people's homes to provide them home health care. And we'll just give you a few statistics to satisfy your orange logic. Okay, so we've got um, self-managed teams that have coaches that help. And I think these teams are about 10 people. And they're nurses and they do all the functions. They do the hiring for their own team. So if somebody changes jobs or roles and they have a spot, they're the ones doing their own interviewing. They've got their own budgeting. They decide how their hours are going to be used. And this has been um, moved from the original Dutch organization to over 24 countries now. And they have achieved results such as 40% fewer hours needed in home. And the brilliance of this is most other home healthcare companies were using a model of, okay, this person needs an IV. That's going to take X amount of time. This person needs medication. That takes Y amount of time. It was all spreadsheets and you're sending the person in and they go poke them with the needle or they set them up with their oxygen or whatever it is and they leave. That actually is what they achieved 40% better results by going in and having their first meeting be sitting down over coffee and talking to the person, learning about their life, finding out if they have children, what their relationship is with the children, how much are these children contributing to to their well, this person's well-being. Um, Do you know your neighbors? They would actually, the nurses would knock on a neighbor's door and say, I don't know if you know but your neighbor across the street has X, Y, and Z needs. Uh, Would you mind taking the garbage cans out for them? Um, Would you mind stopping by once a week and just saying hi? Connecting community members. I know we have a neighbor who's in that situation. And I purposely, when I saw home healthcare workers at our house, I stopped them and said, what can we do? And so 
um, 40% fewer hours and 30% fewer emergency room visits. Whoa. That is absolutely incredible. And, and these people are coming from, back to health. I'm uh, sorry. And they've yeah. grown from like, I think they started with like a couple hundred people. And it's yeah. now over 10,000 employees. I mean, they've just In grown 24 countries. Massively. The other thing that's super cool, and this is a, you know, can be a little bit of a mind bender to some, but to others who are already feeling this energy, they're like, oh, of course this is happening. The CEO, the founder of this organization who is himself firmly in tier two, and he's the one who financed it and is leading it. Um, he gives of his time for free. And now in unhealthy green, we would say, be careful about burnout. But at tier two, we would say, you know, he's actually not managing anymore mm -hmm. because these are all self-managed teams. So he's got time. So he consults with competing organizations for free. <laughs> <laughs> So that's crazy. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's how passionately he feels about the model he's created and how much he also knows that if everyone were to get here, how different the world would be. Yeah, yeah totally, totally. That's so cool. I mean, I'm even thinking about it like, you know, it, the 40% like less time, like, you know, that just, you know, it makes sense from like an, just kind of an efficiency and a community standpoint, but the hospital, like the emergency room visits, that's like its own, like that's wild. Like that kind of connection. That's really crazy. <laughs> and there's this really profound shift from scarcity to abundance with mm -hmm. tier two. And I just, I love yeah. that, um, a story about how he consults with, uh, competitive other organizations, uh, there's this trust in the abundance. There's this not. There's this move away from that lens of scarcity. That if I'm helping these other organizations integrate these principles, kind of move into tier two, that's somehow bad for my organization. Or you know, there's there's not enough room for all of these organizations to be embodying this. It's actually this just trust in the abundance and this trust that if we bring everyone up, that's good and beneficial for everyone. Which I find really really beautiful about yeah. tier two. I love that word trust too. You know, my mind goes to uh, with with my world with coffee, like the goal is that we transform the way it's traded globally. So mm -hmm. therefore, I cannot do it by myself. Mm -hmm. I need my competitors to do it with me. But it's not fun when I lose, uh, you know, a potential account to a competitor either. Right. And that's all of a sudden my own um stage beige is like, hey, you need to your self-care and finances are a part of that. Right. So it's like all that. All that's kind of going off in my mind. But what I have learned to do is trust even the small steps, like to be mm -hmm. friends with, you know, and to be able to text my direct competitors here locally um, and and also to be there when there is a small need. You know, maybe I'm not forming like deep friendships, but I am at least trusting that um, the the relationship is important long-term, but I have to lean hard into trust because mm -hmm. it's, it's so new that it's, it sometimes is hard to trust it, but it, it's like this underlying value. I love that so much. Um, a couple of things come up for me as you say that first, just immense self-compassion for the pace that we're going at towards these things. Um, the field of epigenetics just continues to prove more and more every day, how trauma is passed down multi-generationally. And, um, you know, for example, those of us who are in the U S like grandparents, great grandparents, maybe even parents were raised in the depression. So scarcity mindset 
was thought to be responsible. Right. And so, so many of these things, it's like really patting ourselves on the back when we do have, when we, A, can even catch it because most subconscious beliefs just flow right into behaviors and unexamined. Right. So the fact that we even have awareness, huge first step. And then to take any step to your point, because obviously, well, let me just back up a second. Tier two has a firm uh, belief and truism that things work for everyone. So that includes me, right? And stage green, really good at Mm self-sacrifice. And so part of this is like abundance includes me. So I trust that, for example, the person who started Burt's Org and had the money to do this and has had, you know, the, the financial and success on all the levels has the funds to be able to consult with competitors without charging. But if that person wasn't eating dinner because he's consulting all day and doesn't have any money to pay for his own food, like that is not a tier two value whatsoever. Right. Right. And so, um, you know, we don't know all the details of all the things, but I pretty much can guarantee that man has enough money that part of the reason he's able to consult with others without charging, but that it's so interesting because through a green lens, we can really easily get into, I'm not doing enough. And, oh, I feel guilty for charging for my consulting hours. But it's like, hey, till till my mortgage is abundantly paid and I have plenty of food on the table and don't have to worry about things for quite some time, I should not be consulting for free. This is my work. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> so no. it's just very interesting catching that difference because a lot of times green can see itself in tier two, but then you can kind of catch the ways that either self-sacrifice or guilt, or things are kind of eroding at that. And it's like, yeah, no, we don't, we don't jump into thinking we're in the next tier. We actually naturally evolve into it by having such health in all the preceding tiers. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, that kind of further exploration of that. And honestly, like the green thinking too, one of the common things that I've traced that I find amongst, um, social entrepreneurs, it is high burnout because there is that self-sacrifice component. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's another organization that we like to talk about uh, just because they're such a shining example of uh, the tier two principle of wholeness, um, which, and they've, so this organization is a German mental health organization named uh, Helgenfeld. I probably, I don't know if I'm butchering the, butchering the pronunciation on that. So I apologize, but yeah. uh, they've incorporated, so they've incorporated a lot of practices into their organization, such as uh, having a 30 minute daily meditation that's open for anyone who wants to participate. Um, any employee in the organization that's struggling with any kind of issue can book a personal coaching session. So they have coaching um, available for all their employees. And then the team's in this organization pause two to four times per year to work with a coach through tensions and any issues that have been arising. So this is something we see in tier two organizations and these self-managing teams is that they have coaches on hand to help coach them through um, the tensions and the problems that arise. Uh, But it's not managers and bosses that are telling them what to do. It's just people that are there to facilitate and help these self-managing teams move as fluidly and as effectively as possible. And then every Tuesday, the whole company meets, uh, minus the staff who needs to be with patients during that time, uh, the whole company meets for 75 minutes to have a community reflection session on topics such as dealing with failure, company values, interpersonal communications, IT innovations, uh, and anything else that needs to be discussed. 
So you see in these tier two organizations really creating the, the space in the room for dialogue and connection, having that be something that's really intentional, not just something that's uh, sort of in place just to kind of check off a box and people go through the motions. It's like space where people really show up um, heart centered and really show up with the intention to connect with one another and learn from one another. And that's really builds that foundation of trust, like we were talking about, and that foundation of wholeness within the organization. Yeah, I love that. I love how it's integrated in so many different ways, too. You know, that's one of the things I think what I enjoy about social enterprises, there usually is a specific cause that an, an organization might align with. But then when we think about team culture, and all the other values that we're trying to live, there's many other interaction points of embodying the principles as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious too, like how do you all define kind of the relationship between the individual and the collective with mm-hmm. this model? Like where I would assume each ha- kind of have their own responsibilities, but what does that, what does that look like? That's a really great question. So one of the, um, early tier two companies. He's called Holacracy One, and they're a consulting firm that helps organizations kind of on a large scale start to implement some of these practices. And they have a great tool called Glass Frog. And you can Google it. Um, It is one of the first things that we recommend to organizations that are thinking about implementing some of these practices or you know, starting to infuse their culture with um, some some more integral ideas. And what Glass Frog does, and I'm not a paid representative, <laughs> um, but what it does, and you could do this on paper or even on an Excel spreadsheet or in some sort of, you know, Google Doc until until it was time to get something fancier. But each person, instead of being the person equals the role, and so often we end up with this like, um, healthy, but also unhealthy attachment to what that means. And so we think it's our domain. We think we're fully responsible for it. Some of that unhealthy orange, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like hyper independence gets involved sometimes. And instead, what this does is it breaks down. I believe people will have a profile and it shows all their skills and talents and their zone of genius and their interests and all that. But then any particular role that they're doing at the time is mapped on its own page. And then those roles are assigned to a person. And so instead of mistaking, like it's easy to talk about this in a family system, instead of mistaking, I'm mom. And in all situations, I'm mom. And that mom inherently means X, Y, and Z that is spoken and unspoken, right? It decouples the human from the role. And it allows roles to be a lot more fluid. And what I love about this is it brings intentionality to how everyone is contributing and who I am as an individual, what gifts and talents I bring to the organization versus the particular things I'm being asked to do right now. And back to your point about individual and collective, a lot of these tier two organizations actually overtly say to people, I am hiring you. You are the right fit. You are the right set of talents and skills to round out our team. Then we'll figure out what you're doing. Or if they're transitioning from 
you know, another level in the spiral and becoming a tier two organization, they overtly say, we know we have the right humans. Now, what each human does is going to be figured out. It's going to be mutable. It's going to be changeable over time. You get sick and tired of doing this role. There's conversations about that. Someone else gets to do that role. You get to pick in a new role. And so it's no longer like, oh my gosh, if my I have to make sure there's enough make work for this role, or I have to be stuck in it, or if we have no growth right now, there's no opportunity for me to learn a new skill. All that goes away. And instead, we get to have intentional conversations about how we're contributing, knowing, and this goes back to our beige needs, so many people have a very understandable scarcity fear around their work and their role at work, because if that goes away, their beige needs aren't met anymore and Mm. they're not supporting their family anymore. And so imagine the difference of somebody hiring in you and saying, I know that as long as you want to be here, we need you. And as long as you contribute in a healthy way, you're, you've got a, you've got a role here. And as what that role is at any given time, we'll figure it out. And that might even mean there's gaps in your role. You might have to make up, and there's a lot of stories about people making up new roles, seeing new needs as complexity increases, seeing another way that they could contribute, and all of a sudden offloading the roles they currently have and being allowed to go off and create some big project. Um, One of them was in an entirely different country. One guy was working, I forget which particular company he was working for, but it was more of like a manufacturing type company. And he was like, well, I'm originally from Brazil and I know how things go down there. And I really think that this is needed there. And they're like, go do your, you have uh, however long you need a year, two years to go figure out the landscape and talk to people and get things together and then start setting up your team down there. And so it's just an incredible, like what, who's ever heard of such a thing, but that, I mean, imagine what your heart would feel like being hired into that organization Mm -hmm. instead Mm -hmm. with that premise. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that's huge. Well, and it's so crazy to think too, like, you know, um, when we have the person and the role so closely intertwined, I feel like one of, one of the reasons for that is just from like a productivity mindset Mm -hmm. of like, that just is how it is to like get things done. But in, as you said, the decoupling of it, productivity increases, like when you're not so focused on just this productivity. And I guess maybe that would be like the orange Mm -hmm. stage. Like you kind of take your mindset off of the thing that you're trying to achieve Mm -hmm. and instead focus on the how and the relationships and the people, then you end up having more of what you were maybe after in the early stages of it. It's just fascinating. What I'm in that kind of example, what I really am walking away with is, um, one of the things I'm trying to do as a leader more than anything else, like if I could sum it all into one word even is safety, create mm-hmm. safety mm-hmm. for for people. So pay is a part of that. Um, culture is a part of that. Obviously, the, the physical safety of the work environment, the emotional safety of a work environment. Um, so to hear this example of like, and I think this is true, like uh, a handful of people that work for me, I don't care what role they do. Mm-hmm. I want them in my team. So like the safety of evolution and that that helps them to have a growth mindset, a learning mindset, a curiosity mindset. Um, so just like it's another level of safety that I want to make sure I'm trying to be conscious of in providing for the people that work with me. Mm. Yeah, I love that so much. That really fosters creativity and innovation. Yes. Yes. Because when people feel safe, then they can be vulnerable. They can. Ha- and it takes vulnerability to 
have a new idea and to share it with anybody. How many times have you talked to somebody and they're like, oh yeah, I thought that. And you're like, why didn't you say it? Because the environment wasn't there for them to feel like sharing it would have, you know, either felt safe or been of benefit. Um, and a lot, we, we do this kind of stuff all the time, right? We don't think our creativity has anywhere to go or anywhere to land, but how many creative ideas are we potentially leaving on the table because of some misunderstanding of safety? Yeah, and organizations are mirrors for our beliefs about humans. And we see this in tier two, where the organization organizations in tier two reflect that fundamental trust in humans and fundamental uh, yeah, trust in ourselves and other humans and the nature of life. Uh, when you see organizations that are built on this mistrust of human, this is how we get bureaucracy. And this is how we get those really... Uh, those the structures that stagnate growth and stagnate creativity. And that's what, um, as we as we grow as a society, I really feel that we're going to grow, we're going to change our fundamental beliefs about ourselves and each other. And that's going to fundamentally change the structure of our organizations. And that's what's so incredibly inspiring about looking at these tier two organizations, because we're seeing how collaboration and innovation and organizations look when they're built on this different perspective of humans and when they're built on trust and this different perspective of trust. That's so interesting. I haven't, I've never thought about like bureaucracy as being like a lack of trust or a symptom of a lack mm -hmm. of trust, but that makes a lot of sense. Like that's really interesting. Yeah. If you don't trust the people to, you know, around you to do what they need to do, then you're going to find ways to make sure that they do. And then again, I feel like that actually limits productivity, you know, because mm -hmm. How many studies are there now saying like, oh, a 32 hour work week, people get just as much, you know, done because you're you're providing for them as like a full and whole human. And I'm just, you know, this is amazing for employee retention because who would ever <laughs> want to leave an organization like that? And, you know, also people often leave because, oh, well, there's nowhere left for me to go. Like, I don't feel like I'm growing or I don't feel like I can fulfill, you know, this potential or this dream or, or whatever within this space. But it's like, well, if it's, you know, dependent on you and the things that you're saying and the needs that you want to address, um, then yeah, like, yeah, why would you, why would you ever need to leave? Like, it's really interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I know that we just scratched the surface of <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing, but I also feel like we did get do a good job of like walking through it and seeing kind of some examples played out. And mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and also like I have to catch myself like uh, I probably came into this conversation, at least having some awareness of what spiral dynamics was. Therefore, I was like, oh, well, I'm kind of more evolved, <laughs> but I, I would not have used those words. Um, but probably subconsciously, that's how I felt. Now I'm like, okay, I still have a lot of work to do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like to continue to learn and to, to continue mm -hmm. to evolve and to give myself grace, to give myself, you know, permission and all that kind of stuff as well. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it's really great to just to sit in this for a second and, and kind of catch my breath. Being that we did scratch the surface, um, you know, kind of where do you, where do you want to point people to? Where can people go to either learn more about the spiral if they're so inclined or more about your work or, um, you know, maybe other resources that would be available as we begin to ask maybe some new questions? Yeah, so you can find all of our work at open-aware.com and we have resources on spiral dynamics to learn more about it and uh, read more about the model. And you can find all of our other work 
and all of the other stuff that we do on there. Um, as far as other resources for Spiral Dynamics, there's a website called Spiral Dynamics um, Integral Netherlands, I believe. Just Google and that's that. not actually what the website's yeah. called, but just Google that. That's the best source we found online for just diving uh, really deep into the stages and the mm -hmm. way their descriptions are really fantastic. Yeah, and, and if you find yourself poking around and um, feeling less clear, about it, but you really do want to move forward with some very practical ways in which the spiral could actually help your organization. On our website, we have uh, free connection calls for organizations. I think they're scheduled at 45 minutes or an hour. We would love to talk to any of you and explore some of these ideas and whether that's, we, we see ourselves in a both and role of being kind of like concierges of, you know, helping people find their next best way forward. And also if that includes working with us, awesome. But we're also super happy to share other things that might be specific to the particulars of what came up for you in this episode. Um, and also if you're interested in getting deeper into this, the book Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Leloux is an awesome resource. And um, you can Google that as well, because there's um, a couple ways to consume his material. There's a physical book, but then there's also an awesome illustrated PDF version that we've also found really, really helpful to, to get through this kind of stuff. So um, yeah, that we just love to be able to have this conversation with you all, to be able to share this with those of you who are listening. Um, maybe we've provided a spark. Maybe there's something in your heart that now wants to be seen. And I think the biggest thing as guides and people who are here to help the overall healing and expansion of the planet is that reminder that you just gave to yourself, David, of like being really um, just gentle, compassionate with yourself in the process our brains are like, oh my gosh, there's so much to learn here. And, and there's blind spots. There's blind spots everywhere. And I guess the little anecdote I'd leave you with is Trace and I, before we started working with organizations, we took 14 groups of individuals through a, a seven-week process with this. And every single time we would do the homework that we gave the individuals <laughs> for each stage. And so we've done at least and it happens more and more all the time, 14 times worth of going back to every single stage is health and unhealth and picking one more thing to work on. And yet there's still never ending things that arise in a very spiral-like fashion to um, help our growth, our expansion, our perspective. So yeah, this isn't, there's no part about perfecting any of this is a, it's a map for a, an ongoing human journey. Yeah. It's a lifelong journey, not a destination. And I feel continually humbled noticing the ways that certain unhealth shows up for me. And, and it's just such a beautiful tool for having compassion and for myself of, you know, this is a, the human experience is a complex, very, it's a complex journey. And um, yeah, this compassion for ourselves every step of the way is really, really key. Yeah. Well, very good. Um, yeah. Again, thanks for sharing this space with us and uh, look forward to just, 
staying in touch and and having our folks connect with you all and and continuing all of our collective work and and trying to make the world a better place through the work that we do. So uh, I think this has been a very valuable conversation. I can already think of like five people that have come to mind, like I cannot wait to share this episode with. So, um, so yeah, I know that that will have a ripple effect as well. So I appreciate, I appreciate that. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you both. This was so enlightening and, and just exciting and helpful. Thank you so much.